My guest today is the Vice President of Revenue Operations at Workiva. She has extensive experience across the sales spectrum from sales operations, sales inside sales, planning, coaching, pipeline development, senior leadership. She has done almost every possible role that you can do in sales. She is described by colleagues as, and I quote, a fierce competitor and an ideal leader proactive, results-oriented, and adaptable. Here's another comment. From the smallest tactical detail to the highest level of strategy and execution, she always gets the best from her teams. She has real talent for building relationships and scaling a business to impact the bottom line. One more. I had the pleasure of reporting to Tana on two separate occasions, and I would consider her a wonderful leader. She's very forward-thinking and has built several successful sales teams from the ground up and I've grown tremendously under her tutelage. Tana McDermott, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. That was quite an introduction. Looking forward to speaking with you today. My pleasure, my pleasure. Maybe we could start, uh, Tana, if you wouldn't mind, take us a little bit back to where you grew up and what was that like? Tell us a little bit about the environment and background you grew up under. You're taking us way back, okay. Well, I was born in a small town called Mitchell, South Dakota in the Midwest and uh, moved to Iowa and spent a lot of time in Iowa and then Omaha, Nebraska. And so <clears throat> moved quite a bit. My dad was an executive at a company here in the Midwest. And um, eventually my parents started their both of their own businesses and did that for over 20 years. So. I grew up with a very entrepreneurial mindset and I went to college at Iowa State and then after I graduated from Iowa State um, with a, a major in business or uh, marketing, business, I studied abroad, abroad in Swansea, Wales during my time at Iowa State and then after I graduated, I thought to myself, well, I want to apply this international business degree somehow. So. I had a minor in Spanish, but I can't speak Spanish, <laughs> so not sure how I got that. Um, so I wanted another English speaking country um, and had obviously spent some time in the United Kingdom, but I, I got a work visa to go to Australia for four months. So after I graduated <clears throat> from Iowa State, went to Sydney, lived and worked there for four months for American Express Small Business and then came back to the States and started a job in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, and it was like a multi-level marketing opportunity. So I was going business to business, selling um, office supplies and credit card processing. And it was 100% commission and very long hours. And you know, I was naive at that age thinking like, well, I want to start my own business and this is how I can do it. I was very successful in that role. I worked there for a couple of years and moved to Cleveland, Ohio to open a new branch of that office. And, um, and then I kind of came to terms with reality, like I've gained this experience, but wanted something a little bit more stable. So I, um, kind of a unique opportunity, but you know, in the in-flight magazines, have you seen the, the, it's just launch ads? It's, it's an executive dating service. Uh, I, I saw that on your LinkedIn profile and never heard of it. Th though. That fascinated me. Yeah. Because I, I was curious, what were you selling in, <laughs> in that company? Yeah. So we were selling a service. So we were selling an executive dating service. So yeah. 
I had the crazy idea that I wanted to open a franchise of this business. It's just lunch. And so I researched the company and talked to other franchise owners in the Midwest. And they all said, you need to go work for Michelle Brown. She's the franchise owner in Atlanta. So I called Michelle. I told her what I wanted to do. And she had an opening for a role. So I ended up working for her as a regional sales director selling this service. So what I would do is it was a very cool opportunity. I would sit across from very prominent people in Atlanta, you know, doctors, attorneys, and we wouldn't talk about business. We would talk about their love life. And at the end of that hour, I would ask them for a check for at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago, but at the time it was $1,500 for, I think, a six-month membership. And so we would send them out for lunch or a drink after work with other people that were in our database that had also paid. And so it was a very emotional sale. It was a high impulse sale. Um, and you really had to build a close relationship with those people in a short amount of time that they trusted you with their love life. <laughs> That's and fascinating to me, uh, Tana, because I mean, we, we all know we talk about the importance of emotion and pain and gain and pleasure and so on in, in sales. That to me sounds like a pure play pain conversation Absolutely with somebody. Pain. Yeah, I mean, you think of how hard it is to meet people today and people either meet people, you know, like the cliche thing of meeting people at the grocery store. Well, that really rarely happens. People meet at work or they meet at bars. But if if you're at the executive level or a busy working um, individual, you know, it's very hard to meet people if you don't want to go to the bar. Right. So mm. so it's. um if you're in that type of a situation and people outsource it. So, so that's what we did. <laughs> I'm fascinated in the, I know, I know this is not the purpose of a conversation, but I am fascinated about the differences between that and the, the, how people do it today with swipe left, swipe right. And I'm curious to know, I, I'm guessing there is still a marketplace for that executive matchmaking that's very private and where, where it's tailored, where it's not just Absolutely. mindless matching on pictures, but more of a who you are and who you want to be with type conversation. Absolutely, because if you think of it, it's a third party that's interviewing you versus mm -hmm. what you perceive yourself to be. And if, you know, could you imagine a prominent doctor or attorney or business owner being on that? It's, you know, they, they want a more private, private forum to meet like-minded and successful individuals. Mm. I'm, I'm curious to know how different it is from, uh, forgive me this, because this is just what pops into my head, real estate, where you sit down with somebody and they said, this is the kind of home I want to live in. I want a frontage looking out over a lake. I want so much space. And then you look around and you find some something that matches that and you go, hey, listen, I found the perfect place for you. You got to come and see it. Yeah, you're right. It is very customized. But the challenge on the flip side of that is that if people are paying for a service at that level and you, um, the type of people that we would deal with were very particular. And so the problem is, is that you kind of perceive this like unicorn person in your head that you want to meet and that's not realistic. So, you know, there, <clears throat> there were times where you kind of had to do a gut check with people. <laughs> To, to bring them back to reality, but it was very interesting. It was so fun. And that opportunity in Atlanta actually took me to 
the west coast of Florida uh, to work with those franchises. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great opportunity. I could just imagine those conversations in my head. Look, you're a five. Now, based on your salary, we can bump that up to a six, but I need to be realistic with you. <laughs> but yeah. listen, yeah. I, I'm sure you have some stories, but we'll leave it there. Probably best leave, leave that. Sounds good. Yeah, totally other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I've heard from you so far is, and, and it, this wasn't mentioned, but, but it's clear to me when I say mentioned in terms of your LinkedIn profile, uh, somebody who's very adventurous and great courage because to go to Australia and go that far away from home, work there, to try and start your own business. Um, there was something else you said as well, and when I heard it, I thought, that's somebody who, who's really pushing the envelope in terms of her own comfort zone. Was there something in your growing up that led to that, that sense of adventure, wanting to explore new territories? You know, I saw my parents work in corporate America for so long. And after they started their own business, I saw how much happier they were, how much more freedom, you know, kind of choose your own adventure that they had. And in the end, uh, you know, they definitely reaped the rewards of that. And so I saw, you know, coming out of college, I'm like, yeah, I want to own my own business, but I don't know what that is, right? Um, what I love about the opportunity that I'm at now and that I've, the journey that I've had at Workiva is that um, it's a fast-paced SaaS company. And, you know, being coming in at, at, a, at a company really and being able to build it from the ground up and be part of that success, it allows me to have that autonomy of and, and the freedom to really create and step out of my mm. comfort zone and, you know, cross lines. It's not a defined role. And that's the exciting part that, um, that, that I've had at Workhaven and foreseeing the future to continue to have. Mm. You joined, it's, it's, a, it's a number of years ago, right? You, you joined the company yep. and you've worked in many, many different roles in that organization. Uh, I'm curious to know why, the, the, like it's, it's across the board from marketing to sales, training, coaching. Um, mm -hmm. what, what is it in you that looks, is, looks for that change? Yeah, so I joined the company just a little over seven years ago, and it's a it's kind of a funny story. I I had interviewed there for a long time, looking for a sales opportunity or sales management opportunity, and I had actually accepted another opportunity at a company as vice president of sales. And Workiva came back to me and they said, "Hey, we actually have a training opportunity for you." And I declined it, and I said, "No, I don't want to be in training. I want to be in sales management." And somebody who became a mentor of mine, his name is Russell Harper. He was VP of sales at Workiva at the time. He had just been on a red-eye flight back from London, called me on a Saturday morning and said, you're making a huge mistake. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, you take a seat and you figure out the right seat as we go along. And um, just explained to me the growth opportunity that, that was at Workiva and and I accepted it and I said, you know, if this is like, it's going to round out my career even more to be on the sales training side of it. And it was an incredible experience. So for the first mm. couple of years at Workiva, I was training every regional sales director, meaning a field seller that came on board. So we had a two week onboarding for them. I was training them on the, the Workiva platform, our product. And I was also training them on the challenger sales methodology, which is what we had at the time. 
Um, since then, we've evolved to force management with command of the sale and command of the message. But it was a great experience, and we were in a high growth mode. So I was training over 200 sellers a year, um, and and then had the opportunity to lead the sales enablement team, or what we called the field readiness team at the time, and just really. Um, you know, how I was able to move across to other opportunities at Workiva was I, I expressed my interest to my leaders and my background. And so when, when the company continued to evolve and there were openings that they would look to me to, to move into those roles. So yeah, I'm fortunate to continue to have expanded mm. responsibilities here. Mm. Which of all the roles you've played across your career, now not just in Workiva, have you I guess, taken the most out of in terms of personal growth? Absolutely, the one I'm in now. So I'm, like you said, I'm vice president of revenue operations, which at Workiva, that consists of the inside sales team. So we're building top of the a funnel pipeline for all sales. And then we also have a renewals team. So we focus on the back end of the sales cycle and we have a team of people who are renewing our, our current install base. And then we have a small reporting and analytics team. And so what that team does is we really feed those key sales metrics and insights to the executive management team that really sits between sales and marketing so that we can ensure one source of data for things like pipeline, sales metrics like um, average deal size, cycle time, win rate. And, and we really analyze the data to ensure that leaders between sales and marketing are looking at one universal set of metrics. Um, the challenge that we had previously is that our VP of marketing was looking at a, a different number than our VP of sales and our chief operating officer. And so we've really brought the two teams together, kind of sitting in between those functions. Mm. Actually, I'd like to spend some time on this because it's a topic I'm interested in as well. And I, I was in a conversation with my son today. There was a, a neighbor of ours who works for a football team in the UK. And... It, 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 the, the conversation was came from looking at some of the European Championships games last night where they wear these vests and they measure everything, heart rate, distance, speed, all of these kind of things. And I, and I, and I, had, and I wondered to myself if sales teams had those kind of metrics, real-time metrics on performance. So that's what we're talking about here. And what I, what I wanted to understand is where is the industry at with that? Because to me, there's always seems to be a gap between the technology available and the use of and the application of that technology when it comes to accountability. Meaning, for example, you can have the best CRM system in the world, and I'm keeping this simple, but if people don't embrace it, then it's not a great investment. Now expand that out into all of the other areas of sales tech and, and, and marketing technology that where you can measure and give those that data you said to uh, to to the sales leaders. Where is in the industry at the moment? What's what's happening? I'd like to just understand about what can be done, what is being done, and what you'd like to see different. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good topic, and I think it's something that so many companies uh, struggle with because there are so many tools out there now, and it's it's almost cluttered, you know, cluttering your mind of, of where do I even go? It's very overwhelming. And the key is that I think we have to look at what are the leading and lagging indicators and focus on what's important to your business to measure because 
you can get so overwhelmed with all of the different data points in there. And mm. to your point, something that I, my comment of every company struggles with is that um, that hygiene in the CRM is we have, you know, we're only as good as the data that we can get our hands on. And so we've definitely evolved with our hygiene here at Workiva as well, but we have a long way to go, just like any other company that, um, you know, we can we can only pull the insights out of, mm. of that CRM, right? And so if people aren't putting contacts into buying groups, then we don't understand how many people are realistically in a buying group or, if they don't move a stage as quickly as they should or right because they don't want the the managers uh hounding on them to continue to progress the opportunity if it's in commit or or upside right so there's a lot of different factors but um i think that we it, it's exciting though that mm. we are moving more in that direction to having the analytics and the insights available throughout mm. all of the different tools that that we can because um, it just gives us more insights into what's happening with our sales team. So I think it's just starting with what do we want to track? What's important to the business, which is different to every business and and finding you know how we can get there. Yeah, I'm always curious about how or where the line is between the technology that's measuring and tracking and feeding back data is versus the more artistic side of sales. And, and, and the reason I actually, let me just use this to illustrate. So if I kind of come over here for a second and show you this. So this is like an old fashioned film camera versus the camera I have here, which is full of technology. It's autofocus and it's digital, all of that kind of good stuff. But the artistic element of photography behind the tool is, is different. And, and, and I bring this up because it was Heidi Klum, the, the supermodel, Heidi Klum. Sure. She had said that she could tell the difference between a photographer who had grown up and learned the craft during the days when they all used film versus the ones who you grew up with, with it, all the, the bells and whistles of the technology. And what she said was that the, the photographer who was, grew up on film they they spent far more time with 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 the relationship between the photographer and the model and and creating that environment where they were comfortable versus the other ones who kept looking at the back of the camera you know did i get it right did i get it right where the film one had to know it in advance had to have everything set up and, and plan it much more and be more in control and command of the the, the situation versus the ones who were able to get, get that real-time feedback and i just wonder sometimes how much the data and all of that technology might, if if we didn't pay attention to it, might take away the opportunity for people to grow as communicators in a, in a sales Completely. environment. I just, what's your thoughts yeah, on that? I, I definitely agree with you. I think there's a couple of factors. To your point, you can have paralysis by analysis, right? You cannot, you have to both sides of it. So you can't just rely on the data and sit there and weed through the data to understand what's really happening. Um, one thing that I think has really differentiated, and I learned this from another leader that I had in another company that I was at, but you have to dig into the details and you're, you really understand what's truly happening in your sales teams through observations, in-person observations, phone observations. I mean, we, I've had so many frontline managers that I've worked with that 
have been struggling with like, well, the analysis, the data shows this with this person. I'm like, when's the last time did you do an observation, right? Within 20 minutes of sitting with somebody or going to an in-person meeting or sitting on the phone with them, you're gonna know exactly what they're doing wrong, right? Mm. And so I think to your point, you need both sides of that. Mm. You need the data, you need the analysis, but you also need the coaching and the expectations yeah. and, and understanding what's happening in person. Mm. To so if I've understood you, what you're saying is that the, the data isn't the answer, the data is actually poses the questions. And then yes. the observation goes and uh, builds on the data to, to give you yeah. the answers. Got it. Because to your point, I mean, everybody, uh, um, nobody's the same, right? So if I conduct an observation with somebody, the, the same person might have the same metrics or results, mm. but what they're doing is completely different, right? Mm. So Yeah. I would also imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong in this, that there are some managers who love data and therefore will spend their time with the head in the data and others who kind of eschew that and kind of push it to one side because they want to be in the moment and be there with the teams. And, and I know the, 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 the best approach probably is, is both, but um, have, you, have you seen that? And if so, how do you deal with it as a leader to, to get people to broaden their own approach to coaching and training? Yeah, I'm smiling because I can... Um, I can think of a couple of leaders that I've worked with in the past that analyze that data so much. And I think that's to your other question of like how I've grown as a leader in this role, because I am a, an analytical person, but I don't have a data science or a, an analytics degree by any means. And so, you know, I have a, a very intelligent group of, of analysts that are on our revenue operations team that I rely on to build the SQLs and the queries behind the SQL queries behind it. But I can't do that, right? Like I just want the output and be able to analyze that. And so mm. it's kind of been a struggle for me to have that balance. But mm. you know, there there is the the fine line of run with the data that you have. And like I mentioned, the paralysis by analysis, right? There comes a point where you've got to take what you have and make a business decision based on that, whether it's with your team or at an executive level. Um, and then be able to to adjust and pivot as you go. Mm. Um, I think it you know it becomes time consuming and it's like a rabbit hole that you can get mm. into and overwhelm yourself with with yeah. all of that. So yeah. I would imagine yeah. as well that if you're looking at data sets from by going by the the law of large numbers, that you can obviously see trends and issues and so on at a business level. How do you make sure that you don't lose individuals? from that where one might be an outlier but get lost in the larger state set of data how do you make sure that um it's analyzed at that level and and, and what i'm also interested in is what do you look because again what's what the business looks at and what a an individual manager might look at from a from a, a mentee or a coachee would be different yeah so we do look at both data points we look at the broad you know, all of the data combined, and then we kind of strip out the outliers and look at the median set of data to understand what that is, because you're right, a few gigantic deals <laughs> or, or top achieving rep could really skew that. Um, as far as managers, you know, we, we typically rely on uh, managers should have some sort of a bell curve to their performance, and we've adjusted quotas um, to reflect that as, you know, sometimes we'll see like, okay, our entire team hit 120% to plan, that is not realistic, right? So how do we really adjust? 
Um, we're always going to have those underperformers. You need those, what we would call steady eddies or steady sallies in your business um, that, that fit into that bell curve. And then you're always going to have those top achievers on the far right side mm. of that bell curve that are always exceeding. And so whether you look at a bell curve or look at kind of like a, a matrix type of organization, mm. where does everybody in your team fit? How do you motivate those people, um, those individuals differently? So if they're in the top right quadrant, you know, those top achievers that are, um, you know, high, high potential and, and high delivery, how do you continue to motivate them to get mm. them to the next level? How do you mo motivate your steady eddies differently? And then how do you motivate your underperformers um, differently to, to meet those, uh, at least the, mm. the minimum expectation? And what are your broad brush policies, rules, philosophies about how you would go about doing that? If you could kind of maybe break it down for me into the top achievers, motivating them versus the, the, the B players and then the C players. Is there a, you know, you'll have your own philosophy. There may be a company policy that's the same or different. I'm interested in that. Yeah, my, I, my personal philosophy would be that people are motivated. Everybody's motivated by something different, right? What motivates me is going to be different than my colleagues. So really building a relationship with them, understanding what they want next in their career. Um, not everybody wants to get promoted. I have people on our team that want a title change, and they like that recognition of maybe it's a senior level role. Um, I have also people who kind of the natural per, per career progression of moving from an inside seller is to a field seller. Not everybody wants that. I just promoted um, somebody into a sales enablement role. Another individual on our team wanted to go into product marketing to further her career. And so it's just really finding out like what, what is that next step for that individual um, and helping to, to craft the, the benchmarks or the stepping stones to get there. Um, so I would say that that's a lot of it. And how does that differ from a steady eddy? Um, you know, we've had conversations with people to really understand. I think it's just, um, you know, what, what are other factors going on, right? Obviously, we're coming out of an extremely tough year personally, you know, with, with the global pandemic. And, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that people have personal things that everybody's gone through that they probably haven't shared with their colleagues or their managers. And so just understanding, like, you know, we want to give people grace and we want to, we, we are all humans. And so naturally people go through different things, but I think, um, you know, uh, giving them grace and giving them, um, some, some empathy and understanding with what they may be going through and how can we help them if it is impacting them professionally, you know, obviously it comes a time where the, the business has needs and we want to be able to manage that, but also just having that human element to it. You know, we don't have yeah. robots working for us. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the, the C players, often people will say they needed to be exited out of the organization. Would you share that view? I've actually had um, people who we've given performance improvement plans to, and they've pulled out of it and they're still on our team. And that was over five years ago. And so it just depends upon the individual. Yeah. You can't want it more than they do. And so I think where a lot of managers struggle is that they spend so much time with their C players instead of their A or B players. And you really have to have that kind of conversation or come to, like I would say, um, come to Jesus with yourself as a manager of, um, 
you know, is this person somebody that can pull out of it? And if they are, then yeah, invest the time in them, but yeah. you cannot want it more than they do. And if, if that's the case, and I think you just need to have that conversation with them of, Hey, I've, you know, we've spent this time together. You have the tools that you need. Are you in it to win it? Or if not, you know, maybe it's a time that we part ways and, because honestly, in many cases, you're doing them a favor by yeah. helping them to get to get to a different a different sure. career. Yeah. What is it about your your what you do professionally that gives you the greatest sense of accomplishment? Um, I love being able to see that we significantly impacted the bottom line of the company. That we're moving the revenue needle. I get gratification out of promoting people, having others on my team get to that next level. You know, when when they're succeeding, obviously the the water rises, right? When when they rise, the tide rises. And so I've you know, I've had the fortunate um opportunity to to rise as I've encouraged my you know, promoted leaders on my team. Um so yeah, I get I get gratification out of that. I get gratification of the amount of revenue that our team contributes to to the overall, you know, the percentage that we contribute to the company. Um, so those are a, a couple of the the main ones. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned the word gratification quite a few times. Is that something that you're conscious of in terms of how you interact with the world through that sense of gratification, and and how does that apply to yourself in terms of your own personal life, the kind of things that you're grateful for personally? Yeah, I feel like um, we build better teams when you express your gratification to your team in many different ways, whether that's highlighting them through recognition, highlighting them through compensation, and just telling them. I think mm. as, as leaders, the more that you climb up that career ladder, um, the less people recognize executives right mm. it's if you think about it it's it's not very often that you get praise the higher that you are in your career and it's something that i've recognized and we've made a conscious effort with our teams to not only praise them and show gratitude more to them mm. but also do it you know manage up and show gratitude to other people in the organization of teams that are doing well mm. um it's it just uh creates a, a, a very different culture. Yeah. So. yeah. It is, the reason why I ask, it fascinates me. There's a, I did some work earlier this year with a team in Microsoft and it was a smallish team by you know, seven people and, 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 and the sales leader. Uh, but what they did was, and I thought it was, I hadn't seen it anywhere else, was as a team, somebody would be nominated. Now I'm gonna say, I'd say it's every week. I don't know that it's every week, but certainly let's say every few weeks that one person would be nominated, it was their turn. And everybody on the team at the start of this kickoff meeting, so let's say it was a monthly kickoff meeting, they, they had to say what they were grateful for in that other individual, what they brought yep. to the team. And I don't know if it was a result of that, but as teams go, I, I have to say, I don't know that I've ever worked with a better team. And when I say better, I'm really talking attitude and what they brought to the job. And it was quite a diverse team as well in terms of mindsets and personalities, which was quite interesting as well. But that sense of gratitude seemed to bind them as a team because they were all feeding into the same 
pool, if you like, of gratitude that they were then all extracting from personally. And they felt this, there was that, I guess what I'm saying is there was a sense of bond in that team that I rarely see. And uh, I just, I I thought, yeah, that's a really great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. It instills collaboration. It instills inspiration and uh, connectedness, right? um, It's something similar that we do. We start every manager's meeting off with what good has happened this week, whether it's professionally or personally, we can get so caught. We just move so fast. Right. And I think as humans, our natural minds go to what's, what's happening right now that's negative and that consumes our thoughts. And so just kind of bringing it back to what is happening that's good and there's so much good that's happening and how can we be grateful for that? Mm. And then um, one of our leaders on our team, she she writes a, a monthly newsletter. And in the newsletter, we ask our team members to to express gratification if they want to. It's not mandatory for anybody else on the team. And it's so inspiring to see all of the comments that come in. I mean, it could be the, the, the smallest thing, but it really instills teamwork as well that, you know, we're, we're competitive, obviously, by nature because we're salespeople, but um, we have a very collaborative team where they're so willing to help each other and that just continues to feed that. So, mm. I mean, we do have a ton to be grateful for. It's you know, there's, um, we could be in a lot less fortunate situations and to keep that top of mind that we work at a fantastic company and, you know, we're here, we're healthy, we're, we're grateful, you know, it's, um, yeah. yeah, Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think those of us who work in the technology sector have an awful lot to be grateful for. I see it here in, in my country, this, they, we've had the longest lockdown on the planet in terms of, restaurants and in and out they've have they have outdoor dining but again they've just pushed out indoor dining till september guess what happens in yes. september you know so those people who work in those sectors when you compare the lives that we have compared with what it must be like as a business owner you can appreciate this where you're planning you're buying in something and then you're told nope so uh, i i think we have we have so much no matter you know what's happening uh, out there the fact that we can work and continue to 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 interact with other people is 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 something really to be great grateful for no question Absolutely. about it um tell me a little bit about what you like to do when you're not working how you wind you know how you unwind i should say and uh <laughs> what you do in your personal life uh, hobbies sure. interests sure well i have two little kids um my husband and I have been married for almost 13 years, so I have a daughter who's almost four, a son who's eight and a half. He's in on two baseball teams, a soccer team. Uh, they don't take up much so, time at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm yeah. at a lot of baseball tournaments on the weekend, but yeah. we like to golf, go boating, um, you know, be outdoors as much as we can since we have limited months in Iowa that we can be outside. So, But I also like to wind down with wine and friends and um, – yeah, so it's yeah, always always busy, but um, no rest mm. for the weary, right? Mm. No, I, and and when you've got young kids, you really don't have time for hobbies. You have time to look after them, and then there's the glass of wine, which is all <laughs> you have left at the end of the day. <laughs> Your energy left. Uh, I know what that's like. Um, yeah, you, it's it's almost like for a period of fifteen years your life just goes on hold probably longer because if you have more than one kid it's it's extended out for sure um, absolutely but i love talking to sales leaders like yourself and 
um, just, you know, understanding what's new and upcoming, different mm. perspectives, points mm. of views. And mm. yeah, so I've, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, tell me a little bit about what I would like to talk to you about is your own personal growth journey that you've been through quite a few roles. There's always challenges. There's always humps that you have to overcome where you have to really dig deep in yourself where you, you reach that point where it's not that you'll almost give up, but you, maybe you feel like it and you have to have, dig deeper or somebody has a conversation with you. Talk to me about that in your own experience. Yeah, I've had many situations in my personal life as well as my career where I've had to demonstrate resilience. Um, I have an older brother who is two years older than me and he died in a car accident when he was 20. And so I learned at a very young age, I was 18 at the time, that you know you have to get through hardships like that in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been terminated from positions because of restructures and downsizing and had to demonstrate resilience of coming back through that with, um, you know, I've had, so just personal and professional, you know, whether it be major company restructures at other organizations where you don't know if you're gonna make it through and you have to build um, relationships with people that you didn't have before, right? Like there's, mm. I mean, we all go through examples like this where it's incredibly mm. hard and difficult and just all of those experiences make you tougher and, um, you know, make you a better person for learning how to come out of that with grace and, and humility and just understanding, mm. um, it, it, you know, how, how you can get through it and keep a smile on your face not just for yourself, but people are relying on you. You know, mm-hmm. I have a team of leaders. I have a team of individuals that um, if they sense that you're stressed and frustrated and concerned, like they're going to feel that too. And then your team can crumble. So I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, taking the high road, understanding uh, personal accountability and owning up to one of my favorite books is um, by Jocko Willink, The Extreme Ownership. And um, just, you know, he's a former Navy SEAL and he talks about um, having personal accountability on the battle lines and, re- and, and relaying that to the business world and the sales world and just, mm. you know, not pointing your finger at other people and taking ownership and picking up the pieces and moving forward. So mm. um, I don't know if that really answers your question. I feel well, like it, it, it prompts a couple of questions. One, one is uh, there, there, there has to be a line somewhere between looking after yourself and then having that weight of responsibility because you said that that you give off an energy these are my words uh, that that people pick up on and that if you're not in a good place well it's hard for them to to attach to to that and to be attracted to it i guess um and that that they they need you to be in a good place i guess is what i'm trying to say Absolutely. That, that has to be a lot of pressure. Sorry? Yeah, well, yeah, and just reiterating that, you know, we're in a good spot. Everything's going to be okay, mm. right? Like they, yeah. I think sometimes as leaders, we forget how much others look up to you for for that comfort and reassurance and advice. And um, yeah. people don't like change naturally, right? They yeah. They get scared of change. And so they want, they want that comfort and reliability Mm. and it's that constant communication and just expressing to them that, you know, this is the direction that we're heading in, having that vision, having Mm. that, um, I don't think you can express your vision and, and, and communicate 
that to your team, um, you can't over communicate. That is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. So we have a monthly all hands call. And at the beginning of that, we iterate, what are, what is our vision? What are our principles? What are our leadership values? And, and how can we, you just, yeah, I can't over communicate it enough. What advice would you have for somebody who was going through that difficult time? Say, let's say they've been laid off from a job through no fault of their own, or even if it was their own fault, that, that it's still not easy. What, how do you, yeah, what advice, if I were sitting here to you and I was really upset, what would you be saying to me? It's going to be okay. You're going to find, you know, your next opportunity that you you find is going to be better than the one you had. I think that that's very hard to understand. Wait for the right opportunity. Don't take the first one that comes along. Network as much as you can and really take a step back and, and have a lot of internal deep thoughts of like, what is it that you really want? Take this opportunity to, to get, mm. to, to get what you want. Um, mm have you know sit with friends sit with a coach sit with a former colleague and write down what they see as your strengths and and play on your strengths to find that next killer opportunity it'll mm. come along there was something you said earlier that struck me and i wanted to come back to it which is on topic which is the uh when you were looking i think you said you turned down or, or you had another opportunity when you were looking at Orkiva. And it was, you said, somebody you respected said to you, listen, what do you want? Do you want this or do you want to join a rocket ship? You know, you'll, you'll find a position in there. And, and what, I, what I was kind of hearing in that is, that, that was obviously somebody very smart was able to say, look, here's, you want to be part of a story or do you just want a job? Yep. And I think that idea of the story, that narrative of what people want in their own lives, and what they want in a role, I think is important. How conscious of that, of the story, the, uh, at an organization level, do you guys uh, relate to, I guess? Well, it's a, it's a good point. And I continue to look back and say that that was a firm turning point in my life because if I would have taken that up other opportunity, I, I would have been in a very different place in my life. And I would give the advice of, you've got to look outside of the titles. You know, mm. the role that I had turned down was a vice president of sales role. And I took a role as field readiness training manager. You know, I was an individual contributor as a trainer, but the, so I, so you've got to look beyond the titles, right? Um, you have VPs, you have, you know, executive level titles, you have individual contributors. One person at a VP could be an individual contributor, whereas a manager could have 50 people under them, right? And so I think you've got to look beyond that. It's, it's much, much bigger. Look, mm. look at the contribution that you can make to the company, the growth opportunities at the company and, and really what you want. Mm. Um, but yeah, the story, the story is, is, a, is a big mm. one. Yeah. What resonated me with that when you said it was, and I, I, I won't have the names right, but it was a documentary on Apple, the company. And it was one of their, and I don't think it was Steve Jobs, it was somebody else. I, I could have been Steve Jobs, but whoever it was, they were recruiting for a COO, senior level job. And this guy who they were recruiting, I think worked for 
Dell Compact, one of those, HP, I think. And the, 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 the guy was kind of, was, he's attached to the idea of working in HP, uh, who at the time was just, you know, massive, or still is, but it was, it was the premier company in terms of computers. <laughs> and the, the recruiter, let's say it was Steve Jobs, said to him, he says, do you want to work for a company shifting boxes? Or do you want to build a future? <laughs> and I just thought that frame, that's what that, that, that struck me was. And it's such a powerful thing because I think it connects with something deep inside all of us that we want to contribute and we want to be significant. And that, the, the rocket ship analogy, I thought was so powerful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's been fun being a part of a company that I joined Workiva before we were public. So I've seen the progression of us becoming a, a key player in the marketplace mm. and and just the evolution after we've we've gone public it's like we've you know i've, I've grown up with them and mm. it's it's a it's been a wild ride and it's it's been fun to be a part of and uh, uh, where next where's the rocket ship going next for you i don't know yet i don't know um yeah the opportunities are endless i'm having fun where i'm at and i plan to continue to stay here. So, um, mm. but yeah, there's a time mm. for everything. And I would still love to own my own business at some, at some point, I would love to be able to coach others, um, through, you know, training, training managers to get to that next level, training VPs to get to that next level. Um, so maybe it's some sort of consulting opportunity like that. Mm. Interesting. Cause that you, you, you did that role before as well. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 very satisfying if you've got people who want to be there rather than prisoners. I think sometimes you get in corporate environments if you're in a room with people, uh, half of them don't want to be there, and that's that's difficult. But when you're when you have a private practice, I guess it's different. No, no question about it. But yeah. uh, you 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 seem to be like I know some people when it comes to careers, they're they have everything mapped out in advance. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and going to do this. Judging by what you've told me and looking at your past, you're very much a, well, this oh, could sound negative, don't mean to, opportunistic. Is that like you, you give everything to what you're doing currently and then if something else comes along that interests you and the timing is right, you'll do that. And if not, you'll continue to give everything to what you're doing currently. Yeah, you're is, spot on. I think it's a good yeah. strategy. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that you are disconnected. I think when you give your all to something that you're doing currently, that's when the opportunities come, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm very loyal and I'm very passionate. And um, yeah, timing is everything. So not, yeah, I'll, I'll worry about that when the time comes. <laughs> I want you to imagine, cast your mind forward a good few years to you're now at your retirement party. Okay. And everybody's they're showing up and they're celebrating your career. And then as the evening quietens down, some young 22 year old comes up to you and says, look, just joined the company, heard so much about you. I've, I, I aspire to be like you. What advice would you have for me so that I can have a career like yours? What would you tell them? What would be on your to-do list? And is there anything that you'd say, be careful, don't do this as well? 
I would say that might take um, a book to, to be able to communicate. I would say like, let's mentor, um, you know, I'd be happy to mentor them on a monthly basis or more frequently. Um, obviously that, that, that person and like-minded people would be the wave of, of the future and um, culture is very important. And um you know, advice that I've given to other people here at Workiva is that build your brand internally and externally and never burn bridges. Uh, somebody, somebody that you're currently managing could be your boss next or in a different department. You know, we, we move so quickly, so it's important that you build relationships cross-functionally and, and build, your, build your internal and external brand so that, that people come to you. That one comes up actually quite a lot is that work your internal network. I think they, that, that there's many a very competent, willing individual has, hasn't leveraged their full potential because they haven't given enough time to that. Um, yeah, and cross-functionally I think is just so important, especially in sales. I think we get so siloed with, I have a great relationship with my manager and my VP and they know my skill set and my um, my contributions but cross-functionally i think it's so important to be able to build those relationships and not only does it build you and your business acumen as a person but just that you know you want people in different pockets of of the company to be able to say yes tana mcdermott is somebody that i look to as a leader or you know whomever it may be but mm. Um, I think just building those cross-functional relationships mm. are so important. Yeah. So even if you're in sales, you're also in marketing because you're marketing yourself internally. Heck yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, and and sorry, the other one was I think is don't you said don't burn bridges as well. Um, I, I actually think that's it's really good advice, and I think it's 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 often you people. Um, it, it's not even that. I know you mentioned that you may end up working with somebody, but there's something else I think in that as well is that you just may be seen as a bridge burner very quickly, very easily. And it's, it can often be forgotten that maybe it was a, a, a justified burn in a particular bridge, but that's not how people remember you, which um, I've, I, I've made that mistake myself, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah, 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 it, does, it doesn't end up well. It, doesn't, it never does. <laughs> no, um, we're almost up on time, uh, Tana. I wanted to ask you, on a personal level, um, just a, it's a simple question, but it's it's more to do with kind of what's important and what we value. If your house were burning down right now and you, and you had to get out, and your, your family are safe and you've got your phone and your computer, you know, the important stuff in life. <laughs> and yeah. you're outside and the fire officer says to you, look, it's okay, you got five minutes to go in and grab one item, that, that's it, and then get back out again. What would you go back for and why? Um, my first reaction would be family pictures, but I'm thankful that most of those are in the cloud now. So <laughs> if anything, maybe a flash drive of, 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 um, or a, a hard drive of family pictures, but anything else is replaceable. You're not a sentimental for objects. I am. I am. But, um, yeah, people are, people are most important. That's true. That is very true. And you mentioned a book. Uh, now, you didn't say that you were talking about writing a book. You mentioned that in, in a mentoring capacity and the, and the question I asked you. 
Is it something you consider? I would love to someday. Mm. And if there was yeah. a book written about your life, what would you like it to be titled? Gosh. Um, I don't know. You put me on the spot there. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. The, the journey, something maybe about like the, I don't know. The journey is exciting but tough and yeah. I don't know. You only live once, so... I yeah, like make that. it a good one. Yeah, yeah, it may be tough. My dad, yeah, yeah, my dad just wrote a book, and it, um, it just was published today. So I feel like that one's oh, top of mind yeah. for me. But it's about, yeah, it's about personal accountability and, um, yeah, taking the high road and 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 uh, personal accountability for itself. So, what's the title? Do you want me asking? We'll do. Let's let yeah. let's give your dad some promotion for his book. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So the okay. title is. Um, the High Road to, sorry, Take the High Road to Personal Accountability by Mo Russell. I like it. Available like it. on Amazon. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll come on and talk about it. There you go. I would love I, to. I would love I, to have you connect with him. I'd love to have him on because I think accountability, whether it's sales, sales, leadership, doesn't matter. I think it's something we all need more of. I know certainly I do. It's particularly when you work alone, you have only yourself to hold yourself accountable and um, I think we need that. I think we need those systems and even think we need that, that willingness to be vulnerable with others and say, look, hold me accountable. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. I learned from a great man. So. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. I didn't know your dad. I know you said that you, both your parents were, were worked in, 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 in corporate land. Um, what, what does he, what, what, what's this experience that led him to write this book? It didn't yeah, come out sure. of the blue. Yeah, um, the short of it is he was vice president for a company called Farm Credit Services. It's pretty, pretty large here in North America. And then after that, about um, 25 years ago, he started his own business called Russell Consulting Group, which provides credit and risk consulting to farmers and small business owners. So uh, built a, a, a company with, um, yeah, from the ground up with a, with a co-founder. Um, very successful, so yeah. That takes sure, that takes great. It definitely yeah. does. Well, you didn't lick it off a rock then. <laughs> Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, no, I guess. No, it doesn't. Huh? It doesn't. No. It doesn't. Um, yeah. Listen, Tana McDermott, I want to thank you so much for being my guest thank today. Thank you, Paul. It's been I enjoyed it. Seemingly insightful. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.